Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. There is more than one example of Paul, the veteran preacher, writing to young men. Young men that not only would follow him, but young men that would fill his place of leadership. But it is obvious that Paul does more than lead these young men. Paul also is influenced. Paul also is encouraged by these young men. I want to preach tonight on this subject. I'm looking for young men that I can follow. I'm looking for young men that I can follow. I don't have time barely to outline this passage of Scripture tonight, but I am going to take the next 35 minutes and to give you somewhat of a brief survey of this um, passage of Scripture and the kind of young people we need in our nation. I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit of God to visit with us tonight. I don't want to go through the motions of church. I want God to visit with us tonight. Heavenly Father, I pause to pray. Oh, how I hunger for your presence. How I hunger for you to use the truth of the message. There are so many young men and young ladies that are a part of this church and ministry that are such an encouragement. I pray that tonight you would strengthen their resolve to serve you. I pray that I could keep their attention. I pray, Lord, that they would allow me to share a bit of my heart before I give the Word of God. And Lord, would allow the Word of God to be what we need to make us to be resolved to serve and to follow you. Bless, I pray with your presence. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. There are certain truths that come to reality in a person's life at certain ages or stages or experiences in life. One of those is what I'm going to preach this evening. When I was a young teenager, I came to recognize the importance of spiritual leaders in my life. One of the first was a Sunday school teacher that greatly influenced my life. He was a layman in our church. He had served in Vietnam. Uh, he was actually a foot soldier in Vietnam, and, and uh, his uh, story uh, was, quite, was quite miraculous to know what God had brought him through. He was a mechanic, and he ran a country store of such and uh, was a good layman in our church. What an example what an influence he was to me in my life. There were other men that were of a spiritual influence to me that were laymen in our church. In fact, the first and most, flu uh, most influential men in my life were men that worked full-time jobs, and yet they were faithful to serve the Lord. I had uh, bus workers, I had bus captains, I had bus drivers that I served the Lord with. As I became an older teenager, one of the things that my dad did that I greatly enjoyed was taking us to Bible conferences to hear preachers across the country. 
we would travel two, three hundred miles to go to two nights of preaching. Oftentimes, Monday night, Tuesday morning, and Tuesday night. Perhaps you've heard me say that my first airplane ride was with Lester Roloff, and that is true. My dad preached for Lester Roloff in Corpus Christi, Texas, and those men greatly influenced my life, and I had the privilege to get to know many of those men of the past generation. As I set out to serve the Lord as a pastor, I looked uh, to men to serve as mentors to me. I looked for men that would be an example of two things, their position and their disposition. I wanted to follow men who took a strong and firm stand on the word of God, but also men that stood with kindness, men that were meek. Now, meekness is not weakness. Meekness is power that's always under control. There's a great difference. Jesus was a man of meekness, but in no way was he a man of weakness. I understood early on that there's always been, since the Garden of Eden, an attack on truth. And because of that, there's always been a need for men in Sunday school classes and churches and national preachers to take a stand, a firm and a strong stand for truth. I was blessed to know many wonderful men of God and those men befriended me, they encouraged me, they helped me and many of them asked me to preach with them in conferences in churches across America. Now I've been a pastor for more than 33 years. I've been traveling across America and preaching for 20 of those 33 years. For many years there was a sense of security in my position as a preacher of the word of God. I knew that I had mentors who were friends that not only were my friends, but they stood for the truth. And so I had a sense of security in standing for the truth. I knew when I preached on the word of God that there were others that took that same position. And as I, stand, and as I uh, preached in my own church or in conferences across the country, it was a blessing to stand alongside and with those men to preach for the word of God, uh, to stand on Bible doctrine, the local church, soul winning, standards of separation, and music. As the years have gone by, many mentors have slowly passed off the scene. I've attended the funeral services of many of those men and some I've participated in or preached at their funerals. I've carried on some of the ministries and works of those men. For example, the Voice of the Appalachians was started in 1967. It actually started with B.R. Lakin, the Cadle Tabernacle in Indianapolis, Indiana. Lewis Arnold continued the program for some time, and I became the speaker what seemed like three or four years ago, but now has been more than 20 years. The bus ministry work of leadership uh, was uh, uh, Dr. Wally Beebe for so many years. And what a bus leader and encouragement and a director he was in the area of the ministry of reaching young people uh, with buses. Now for some years I've taken a stand and sometimes led in taking a stand for various truths and distinctives and I've stood without mentors to call and say, or to write and say, I appreciate you taking a stand. I took a stand some years ago for the King James Bible. I believe that God, very simply, has preserved 
his inspired word. Just that simple. Inspired means to be life in. Expired means to be life out. I believe the old book is still alive tonight. I believe in the power of the word of God. It was not a popular thing to do and many misunderstood uh, my stand and thought it was attacking individuals. I was, I was not, but I had been told by my mentors now in heaven, there'll come a day that you'll have to take a stand for the word of God. You'll have to stand firmly on it and others will attack it. And uh, so there came a time that I did stand and I do stand in the same place I always have. Some 15 years ago, I took a stand for America. I felt like uh, that we needed to do something that was patriotic. And a patriotic stand uh, was uh, uh, not necessarily popular. And uh, I remember the night of the patriotic rally, I wish Lester Roloff was there to take over or one of those men. The local newspaper uh, put out uh, some type of a negative comment or attack for nearly two months. By the way, the local newspaper in Lexington has absolutely no right to comment or criticize on anything. They have no legitimacy, none, none. The way they have revealed themselves to be such racist and hate mongers in recent weeks and months, I no way would I ever subscribe or purchase that paper. I'm not against you if you do, but I wouldn't do it. They have no right to comment, no right to criticize. I wouldn't believe a thing they had to say. Now that I've been in somewhat of a leadership position for some years, there's something that has happened and happening in my heart and mind. In fact, as I read the scriptures, as years pass on, it seems that I understand more of a uh, more of a, uh, a position or more of a uh, of a work of ministry as life passes on. And I read this passage of scripture and I see how Paul is writing to young Titus to encourage him. I open the pages of first and second Timothy and how Paul wrote to young Timothy, the veteran preacher, and he gave him instruction and he gave him encouragement. He told him to stand and be a soldier and not, not to back down from truth, but, uh, uh, but, but to stand and to stand firm. Tonight I am thankful for the privilege and opportunity to encourage another generation of young men for you to decide that God is right, his word is true, and that is where you will stand. I would ask you to consider tonight not just as far as taking a stand because of it, uh, because of you, but because of the fact there are going to be enemies that are going to attack this book until Jesus comes. There has to be young men from the Sunday school classroom. In fact, it ought to begin in the nursery and go all the way through uh, every Sunday school class to the pulpit, folks, that will stand for the inerrancy of the Word of God. There will always be attacks. And so I, I, I had no idea, by the way, that when I took stands for truth alongside the older men, uh, the older men, that I was any kind of an encouragement to them. But somehow I get the feeling now that perhaps I encourage their heart as I see young men standing for truth today 
that encourage my heart. For you see, I do not desire just to lead another generation. I'm looking for some young men who will stand for truth that I too can follow. I want to see young men stand for truth and right, doctrine and decency, position and disposition. And that is exactly what Paul is doing when he is writing and instructing Titus here. And God preserves it in the word of God for you and I today. I am thankful for another generation of young men and young preachers and laymen that are coming on the scene that will take a stand for what I like to call old time religion. In our text verses, Paul is telling the aging generation, those that have had some experience in life, to help, to encourage, to strengthen the younger generation of those that are coming behind them. We do not know exactly when or where that Paul led Titus to Christ, although he was one of Paul's converts and was highly esteemed and respected by Paul as a co-laborer. Though he was younger, Titus is not mentioned in the book of Acts, but he does talk about him in his second letter to the church of Corinthians or Corinth, and he talks about him in Galatians and in 2 Timothy and certainly in this book bearing his name, Titus. And Titus appears first as Paul's companion in Antioch when he stood before the council in Jerusalem. Now, Titus was a Gentile, and Paul took him to that conference, and it seems that he took him there to see if the Jewish church would receive a Gentile convert, a Gentile Christian, into its fellowship. And we learn from the letter to Titus that Paul had sent Titus to Crete to deal with some disorders that were going on in that church. Titus had done well as Paul's representative when he went to Corinth and so from that he sends him to Crete. And the experience that he gained in dealing with the difficulties in the Corinthian church equipped him to help in other situations as well. And I love what Paul is doing as he is leading Titus. Now Paul perhaps could have done the work himself but he understands that he's not going to live forever He's not going to serve forever. And may I say to every man here today and every lady here today, life is not for us just to live. We must look behind us and see that there's a generation, and don't miss what I'm about to say, that there is a generation not following us, but following the Savior, following the same book that you and I are following. Are you listening to me tonight? It's important that we as men and ladies look behind us to a younger generation and we point them, don't miss it, don't miss what I'm about to say, not to us as, as, as the hero, but as to truth as what the next generation is going to receive. And Paul is investing in these young men. I love to read about that. And there's something happening in my own heart and my own mind as I look at young men and young ladies in our church, in our teen department, in our college, and say, hey, fellas, it will soon be your turn. I remember sitting with one of the old men of the faith that's been in heaven now for 20 
20 years and he said, uh, uh, Preacher, you need to decide uh, that you believe the word of God and when you make that decision, uh, don't be ashamed and don't be afraid to stand on the word of God. I remember in our conversation saying, Surely that is settled. Surely no one else is going to question the word of God after the preaching of that generation. Little did I know that he would shortly be in heaven after that and I would come to the place that I would face among men that would claim to be in our own ranks to bring doubt on the word of God. I didn't know how quickly the years would pass. And so I say to you young men, don't believe the Bible because I believe it. Believe it because God said it and God said it's true. And the Bible is the word of God. And decide in your heart that you believe the truth. And don't settle to believe it because of what I know. Settle to believe it because what you learn from the word of God. That's what Paul is teaching and Paul is looking for some young men that would stand and lead the coming generation after him. Men that Paul could follow even as he led. Men that Paul could follow even as he led. Take them under his arms and help them to the day that he would be gone but they would carry the torch of truth. Now to the scripture, if you'll notice the detail of what Paul teaches them, both men and ladies. He begins by saying, but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. The word sound is typically used as an expression of health. When we would say a person's health is sound, that means that there's no flaws, there's no sickness, there's no, there's no weakness. But here he's not talking about that. He's talking about doctrine and he said, speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Sadly, we live in a day, even in this day, even among independent Baptists where folks would rather be entertained than hear the teaching and truth of the word of God. But in the day of difficulty, it will not be a song of entertainment. It will not be a joke of humor that will carry you through an attack of Satan. It will be the word of God that you'll have to answer the enemy that would attack the truth. We must be sound in doctrine. And then he says that the aged, and if you look at that, it means the aging men, men with some experience in life and ministry. Notice the Bible says, be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, and patience. God give us a generation of men that are quick acting like a bunch of children. I'm not 15 years old. I'm 55 years old. And there's nothing worse than to see a fellow 55 years old acting like he's 10 years old. In his talk, in his dress, in his behavior, we need men who'll be stable, men who'll satisfied with who they are, satisfied to believe the word of God. Doesn't matter if those behind us think that we're not up with the day, not trying to be up with the day, but I'm trying to be up with the truth of the word of God. I'm not trying to impress the minds of young men. I'm trying to take the word of God and change the minds of young men to increase their faith, not in fashion, and fad but increase their faith 
in the word of God. Men who are not changing, men who are examples of faith, not looking for things that are new, but settled in their faith. Those that are givers and love to share and give and help and strengthen and to be patient, to be patient understanding that we serve God and knowing one day God will bless obedience and faithfulness to him. Notice, ladies, if you will, he said the aged women also. You say, well, I'm not aged. Well, the word actually means aging. Like it or not, that's what we're doing. We're aging. It does beat the alternative. Over the hill beats under the hill anytime. I was talking to my uh, fellow, oh, I was talking to Brother Damaris uh, Friday, and he at the big 6 0 a few weeks ago. And uh, he said, I know now why, I know why now men go to the gym my age and they just sit on those machines. He said, I feel good just to sit on three or four different machines. He said, if it's all downhill, why pedal? Now back to the book. The aged women likewise. God give us some ladies who are willing to be an example. I want to tell you something, gals. You're an example whether you want to be or not. Folks are looking at you. They're watching you. That they're being behavior as becoming holiness. Not false accusers. Not given, and it doesn't mean not given to much wine, so you drink just a little wine. That means no wine at all is what it means. Teachers of good things. That they may teach the young women to be sober. I'll come back to that word in just a few minutes. Teach the women to love their husbands. The world dead sure is not going to teach them to do it. To love their children. To be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands. That the word of God be not blasphemed. Oh, how we need ladies that are settled in their faith, standing in strength, examples that can be followed. Now I want to say tonight, thank God for the Christian ladies in our church that are examples that young ladies can look to and say, that's what a Christian is supposed to be and behave and do. Young ladies, you need to look at and follow ladies of example. I'm talking about Christian ladies. Not looking at the world for models and examples. Not looking for fashions of the flesh, but looking to ladies who are strong in faith and strong in marriage, whose children love them and follow them in their faith. Paul then speaks to the young men and gives them instruction and tells them what is needed in leaders to be. Young men, could we for a few minutes give the Apostle Paul our attention as he step by step goes through some important things that young men ought to desire to do. You're not born with these things. You decide to do them. You come to the place you say, okay, that's right, and that's how I'm going to behave. That's right, and that's what I'm going to believe. I'm not, I'm not going to take that out and make a decision every six months if I believe it or not. If God said it, that settles it. We ought to settle it in our heart. I'm looking for a generation of young men in this church, in our youth department, in our college, 
across America that will step up and be leaders. Here's what he says. Young men, likewise exhort to be sober-minded. Here's what it means to be sober-minded. It means self-control. It means to be able to see and assess a situation. It means to recognize, to be able to recognize a need. Sober means to recognize a, a danger. Peter wrote, be sober and vigilant. What he's saying, because the devil is, uh, 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 your, uh, is our adversary, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So sober means to see any shadow of the lion. It means to see any hint of danger. An illustration would be when young David, just the shepherd lad, came to check on his brothers and he heard Goliath cursing the God of heaven. And while those men were hidden in rocks and caves, uh, uh, David declared, Declared, is there not a cause? By the way, David had already killed a lion. He had already killed a bear. Nobody wrote any songs about it. Nobody said anything about it. It was just between he and the lion. Just between he and the bear. Just a few knew about that. But David did have some experience and no doubt David had walked with God. But David saw a need. David saw a danger. That's what it means to be sober-minded. God give us some young men that have the ability when they read something to say that doesn't match the word of God that's dangerous but that, that doesn't match the truth that's not what my dad said that's not what my mother said that's not what the preaching said that's not what the Bible said I'm not going to read something that's dangerous I'm not going to take something that is not helpful but to be sober minded Oh, how we need uh, young men as young soldiers to be sober-minded. And Paul is teaching Titus here, be sober-minded. You get yourself in trouble when you walk around not sensing dangers, not sensing uh, pitfalls that are around you. God, give us young men that mature in their thinking. Then he says, in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. This is simple. It means to be a servant. Means whatever needs to be done, I'm going to pitch in and do it. I mean, if there's paper on the floor, I'm going to pick it up. Doesn't mean when I take paper off candy, I'm going to throw it down. It means I'm going to pick paper up even if I didn't throw it down. It's a servant. It, it's a person that sets up tables. It's a person that cleans. It's a person that vacuums. It's a person that, that whatever the need is, servants of the Lord. And I want to say tonight, I am grateful. I am thankful for young men and young ladies that are learning to serve. And I want to tell you something. We need to be patient in teaching young people to be servants of the Lord. You know, the greatest of all is not the one who knows the most and has done the most, but is the servant of all. Paul is encouraging Titus. He's teaching Titus. He's investing in Titus. There are men that are aging men and men that are aging women that have come to recognize I may be in the last lap. I may be in the last uh, a few years of my life. I don't want to live my life just in a loneliness or just in selfishness. I want to invest in another generation and what they're saying or what we ought to say is I'm looking for young people I can follow. I'm looking for servants. I'm looking for young men, young ladies that are sober-minded. Notice what he says, and I'll go on just to give a survey in the passage of Scripture in doctrine showing uncorruptness. You know what he means? Paul said, I insist on sound doctrine. 
I insist on sound doctrine. It is a must. There's some things that we can learn. There's some things that we can grow in. I can grow, but the Bible doesn't mature. It's already perfect. It is what it is. I may not understand it all, but I believe it all. I don't understand everything about math. I don't understand everything. I don't understand things. I don't understand everything about the Bible. But because I don't understand it, I'm not going to be so foolish as to say, I don't believe what I don't understand. I believe what I understand. I believe what I don't understand. I believe the word of God because God said it. Sound in doctrine, that is a must. He required Titus to be sound in what he believed. He watched for flaws in his doctrine, and he asked that to be clean. Young men, I say tonight, you ought to know the book. You ought to stand on the book. You ought to be able to answer questions with the Bible. How can I know for sure that I'm saved? How can I know for sure there is a heaven? How can I know for sure there is a hell? Don't give them my email address. Don't give them my cell number. You tell them what the Bible says. You tell them what the Bible says. What about the local church? What does the Bible say? What about the uh, priesthood of the believers as we learned in Sunday school, uh, in, our, in our Baptist distinctive Sunday school classes? Oh, listen to me. I challenge you. You ought to know the word of God. Don't think, well, I'll always just sit in the church and there'll be somebody to stand up there and thunder the truth and I'll tell my kids, just believe what they say. That may be true, it may not be true. Somebody better get a hold of the book and understand and be sound in doctrine. That's what Paul said to Titus. The word gravity is the next word. It's an interesting word. It means dignity. When we think of dignity, we usually associate that with age and not youth. We usually, say, uh, we usually associate that with gray hair. We usually associate that with experience. But he said, Titus, go ahead and act grown up. Go ahead and be mature. Get settled quickly as a man. You know what he's saying? Don't lead life. Life is not all about lightness and jokes. I'm not, I'm not against jokes. Humor is good. And, and, and the Bible says laughter doth good like a medicine. I understand that. But I don't want to lead in humor and lightness. I want to lead with a serious mind of truth. That's what the word gravity means. Paul says, I'm looking for some young men I can follow. I'm looking for some young men that will lead. I'm looking for some young men that are sincere. And we find the word sincerity. He is saying sincere in a corrupt world. He is saying not driven by bad motives, but driven by a belief of faith in the truth. Believe, uh, uh, driven uh, by his faith in God. Paul was expecting much from these young men. I want to say to you, we can turn out another generation of young men and do you know every generation is responsible for its own and what will happen in the next 20 years is determined by what the youth of this generation does. You don't have to follow the crowd of the world. Be a leader as far as a Christian is concerned. Make popular the truth. Make popular doing right. Make popular being respectful to your parents and elders. Make popular being an adult, being a man and being a lady that is right sincerity and then he says sound speech that cannot be condemned that he that is of the contrary part 
Can I tell you there's always looking for somebody? There's always somebody looking for a way they can criticize truth. Always. But he said, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of a contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Sound speech. Be careful what you say. That's what he's saying. As Joseph, who is appropriate in every situation, asking God to give us an understanding, a maturity. Can I tell you something? This world of everything free and giving things away, it's going to come to an end in America. Regardless of what's happened in the last two or three years, our national debt continues to get deeper and worse and worse. Some point in time, we've got to turn this thing around. The only thing that turns it around is character. The president said to me as I sat beside him in his car, here's what he said. He said, it's hard to run against people who promise folks everything they want in life. It's hard to compete against those that promise they will give you the world and no ability, no way to pay for it. Can I tell you what eventually happens in life? Those that don't follow the word of God, the law, you don't break the law, the law breaks you. America's not broken the law. America is breaking itself against the law of God. And only those who will work are going to survive. This nation, if we don't turn around, we're headed for civil war. We're headed for revolution in this country. You listen to what I'm telling you tonight. We've got a dangerous crowd up there telling young people today, we'll give you a free college education. We'll give you, can I tell you, if anything you get free is not worth it. I learned that by seeing a sign that said free continental breakfast. I ate one and realized it, why it was free. <laughs> There's nothing to it, enough to make you hungry. You don't need a free college education. You need to work and earn a college education. Do you hear what I said? You say, what right do you have? I, I, it's not my opinion. It's what the book says. You appreciate what you work and earn. That's what the book said. And Paul is saying to Titus, give me some young men. Not that just want to do right. Men I can follow. Men I can serve with. Men I can take under my wings. And I can help them to become a servant. Of God. If the Lord will allow me, I desire not only to serve and lead, I desire not only to stand and preach for many years to come, but my heart's desire, whatever years God gives me to live, that I can love, that I can invest in, that I can train a generation of young men to become spiritual leaders in their home in their communities, in our churches. And that book right there is the only book that will tell you how to live. It's the only book. Paul said, I'm looking for some young men that I can follow. I'm looking for some, he's not saying I'm looking for some men, young men that I can lead blindly. That's not what he's saying. 
Paul's not trying to promote himself. I'm looking for people that I can just lead blindly. I'm looking for some fellows that love the Bible like I do. I'm looking for some folks that I can stand with you proudly and you can stand with me and together as I pass off the scene, I can understand someone's going to carry the baton of truth in the next generation. Stand with me if you will. My privilege yesterday and today to hear from a dozen men to tell me about the blessings of their day. Ten years ago, I preached in Miami, Florida. Moises Urbina was a teenage boy that told me, he said, I'm coming to Bible college. And he did. And he worked his way through Bible college. I'm talking about a worker of a young man. Married one of our girls here from our church. Sent me a note this afternoon in pictures. Preacher today, we had 136 in church. It started just a year ago. It, it, it wasn't anything magic about it. It was just hard work. That's all it was. Again and again and again. Hey, church, those of us that are aging, I didn't say we were old, but we are aging. There's a generation behind us. Let's love them enough, not just to tell them what the truth is, but to put our arm around them and say, look, you need me to lead, I need to follow you as well. Let's together do what's right.